0: Please to the book of Isaiah, chapter number nine. Isaiah chapter nine. Our text today is found in verse number six. We'll look at verse seven a bit later. That is is part of the text that we don't want to miss. Verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counsel of the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Someone has calculated that there are over 700 names, offices, titles, metaphors, or or descriptive phrases of Jesus in the Bible Now that would have been quite a project trying to go through the Bible and find all of those and I can't vouch for that number but I do know it is an exceedingly large amount of times that the Bible speaks of our Lord in different ways and uh, that means we could preach about that every week absolutely for for several years but This morning we're just going to stay here with the five things mentioned here in verse number six. The five names, and that will lead us to the heart of the message. Most of you are familiar with this verse already, but I wonder how many have ever really stopped to think about the context of this verse. And if we're going to understand the text, we have to understand the context. And that takes us back to chapter number seven. And this is about 742 B.C. In, in chapter number 7. And the prophet Isaiah is sent to uh, Jerusalem to speak to Ahaz. He was the wicked king of Judah. Remember Judah is the two southern tribes. They are the more faithful because then the kingdom was divided. And the other ten, what we might refer to as the liberals and what have you, had made an alliance with Syria and they're trying to force Judah to join in that alliance with them. And the threat is that, uh, that Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. And so they're saying, let's make this alliance uh, with uh, Syria. We can't go wrong. So this is a time of spiritual darkness and political distress. I mean, there's danger on every hand. And so Isaiah told the, the king to ask God for a sign to ask Lord to give us a sign that you know that uh, we'll do the right thing that we're going to be okay because uh, you know from from all appearance we're we're about to be destroyed and the king being the wicked king that he was refused to ask God for a sign He tries to act real pious by saying, you know, no, I'm not going to ask God for a sign. He said, I don't want to tempt the Lord. Now, you read that, and it sounds like we said a good thing. But it's simply a pious act trying to get him off of the hook. And so whenever we move on over to chapter number 8, we're we're told in chapter number 8 that the downfall of the ten northern tribes are going to take place at the hands of the Assyrians. So now we come to chapter number 9, and we see this picture of doom and gloom, and, and this is a time when the people are swallowed up, as it were, with spiritual, emotional darkness, uh, all as a result of their own sin. So it's in this context that Isaiah announces the, the birth, chapter 7. His name will what? Be Emmanuel. Emmanuel. I love the song service this morning. It seemed like nearly every song hit on some part of this message today, especially one part that I'll talk about later on. But uh, here we see the announcement being made. He tells them that that there was a great light that has come and that he's going to set up an everlasting kingdom. You know, we think about the difficult days that we live in and we know if we know anything about the Bible, it's going to get a lot worse than this. The tribulation period is going to be something that is beyond our ability to even describe how horrible it will be. So in the light of all of that, sometimes we wonder, how can I keep going? There are folks here today physically afflicted. There, and I mentioned my nephew and his family, and I, I could mention folks right here in this auditorium that are in that situation that you have family members that you don't know if they're going to make it or not there are those that are distressed because of uh, other kinds of problems and sometimes we just in our despair we wonder well how can how can i keep going everything's working against me how can i keep going well i can tell you how paul kept going And if anybody had problems, Paul did. If anybody was faithful to the Lord, Paul was. And over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18, he tells us exactly what he did. He said that he doesn't look at things on earth, but rather that he had set his sights on heaven. Amen? I look not at the things that are seen... That's what gets us all bent out of shape, isn't it? The things we see, the things we know, the things we hear. Well, we're knowledgeable of that, and that really tears us apart. Paul said, I look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. He said, I don't look at the things that are temporal, those things that are just going to be here for a while. I look at the things that are eternal and that was the key to him being able to keep going in spite of all of the all of the hardships that he endured. So how do we keep going? Well, we keep our focus on Christ and what he did and what he is going to do. Notice before we look at these various names here, we look at these all in the shadow of three tremendous truths. That's the virgin birth. It says the child is born the vicarious death, where he says that a son is given, a son is given, didn't say a son is born, a son is given, the child is born, but the son is given. Given as a gift, as we know, as the sacrifice, our substitute to pay our sin debt. Amen. And that brings us to the victorious reign. This is the part that gets overlooked most of the time. The government shall be on his shoulder now notice these five names first of all he says he's wonderful his name shall be called wonderful now there are a lot of folks a lot of preachers that say that there should not be a comma after the word wonderful and that that what he's actually saying that his name shall be called wonderful counselor now they can do as they please i can't change the way they think but i'm not going to mess with the word of god i believe that it, i believe he's speaking about the fact that his name is wonderful i don't see any reason not to think that because everything about him is wonderful Amen. i think about who he is i i remember making a statement uh, uh, maybe last year or whenever in trying to describe Christ and you finally come to the conclusion that he is the great unlike, the great unlike there 's nobody there's an old song that says ain 't nobody like jesus boy i 'm telling you that 's the truth there 's nobody like jesus he, he, was, he was as as much think about it God in the flesh, and, and that that, that doesn 't mean there 's two separate people here. He's as much God as, he, as though He wasn't man, as much man as though He wasn't God. Think about it. That's who He is. He's, that's wonderful. Think about what He has done. The virgin birth his victorious life, the vicarious death that he died for you and for me, the victorious resurrection and his visible ascension. Can you imagine being there that day after the resurrection? And maybe they're thinking, Bo, we'll never see anything like this again. And all of a sudden he says to them, he tells them to take the message beginning there in Jerusalem and go from there into the uttermost parts of the earth. And And to watch His feet leave the ground and suddenly getting higher and higher and higher as He ascends back into heaven. Think about all of the things that He did and who He is. And then you begin to think about what He is doing. That gets overlooked a lot, right? We think about Jesus came, lived a virtuous life. He died for us on the cross, ascended back to heaven job done. Well, not quite. The book of Hebrews speaks often about the fact that He is there ever interceding for us. I'm so glad because, folks, I got to tell you, there's times that I don't know what to do. I I don't know how to pray. I don't know what to ask God to do. And He's ever interceding. There are times that I fail God, and I'm glad that He is a mediator between me and God. His work continues on, and He's wonderful because not just of who He is and what He did, but because of what He's doing. Amen. And then we could say that He's wonderful because of the fact that the best is yet to come. His name shall be called Wonderful. I don't know how anyone could deny that. Notice the next word, Counselor. You know, it's been said that we live in the information age and it's amazing that we have so much information at our fingertips just take your cell phone and you can you you can see things on the other side in in real time you can see things on the other side of the globe you can read the libraries of books that you would would never ever be able to access otherwise all of this information In our generation, and it's absolutely amazing that we have so much information today, and still we can't even, the average person can't even answer the most important questions in life. Why are we here? Where did we come from? The world doesn't have the answer to that. God alone gives us that information. Jesus is the answer. Isaiah said in chapter 28 verse 29, "The Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel and excellent and excellent in working." In other words, God is at work continually. God is as Brother Kenneth spoke about the providence of God. He, God's always at work. He's, he knows everything that's going on. Do you realize that God knew exactly who would be here this morning and who wouldn't? There are folks that wanted to be here, and God knew they couldn't make it today. There are folks that thought they were going to be here, and God knew that they weren't going to make it today. But God knew that you would be here. He, he knows exactly where you're seated in this auditorium. I mean, that ought to give us pause for reflection to think about that God knows this very moment exactly what's going to happen. He's wonderful. He's the counselor. Jesus has the answers. He is the answer to all of our problems. He's not just the answer, but He has the ability to meet those needs in our life. Knowing something is one thing. It's one thing for Him to educate us as our counselor. It's another thing for Him to enable us. And He does both. Even His enemy said, Never man spake like this man. My question is, why didn't they listen? Why didn't they listen? Why didn't they obey Him? Christ has the counsel for every crisis that you'll ever face. He has a plan for every problem that you'll ever encounter, a solution for every situation that you find yourself in. He has a message for every man, woman, boy, and girl. And if we accumulated the counsel from all of the so-called wisest men that has ever lived on earth, in some way we could put all of... All of that counsel together, it couldn't even begin to equal the counsel that we receive from Christ. I love what Peter said in 2 Peter in chapter number 1. He says, according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue that's another way of saying that that the word of god is sufficient for all things it answers all of those tough questions it gives us the plan it gives us solution for everything that we'll ever face he is our counselor he's given us all things that pertains to life and godliness and where is it is through the knowledge that he imparts The one that called us to glory and to virtue. No wonder we call him wonderful. Then notice the next few words. He's wonderful, the counselor, the mighty God. That word mighty means more than just strong. It means invincible. The mighty son of God. He is all. Mighty, the emphasis on that all, almighty. He gave evidence of that, didn't he? When he walked here upon the earth and he stilled the storm, he healed the sick, he raised the dead. He has all power in heaven and earth. He's the mighty God. Get this, Jesus said, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. Now notice the next phrase. He's wonderful, the counselor. He's the mighty God. He is the everlasting Father. And I gotta tell you, that goes way beyond my ability to understand all of that. I I can't I can't comprehend That little baby, born of a virgin, was actually literally God himself taking on the form of flesh, blood, and bone. God became man. And he said in John chapter 17 to those disciples, he said, uh, that I am one with the Father one with the Father, the everlasting Father. Oh, so many times, you know, we think about Jesus and Christmas time and how wonderful it is to reflect upon the miracle of the virgin birth. And we come to church and then we sing the old rugged cross and we think, oh, how wonderful that He cared enough that He died on the cross to save us from our sins. Yes, indeed, that's wonderful. But we need to see the, the big picture, the full picture of who He is. He is God in the flesh. The Son of God became the Son of Man in order that the sons of men might become the sons of God. Aren't you glad that you can become one with Christ? Christ who is one with the Father. And whenever we talk about the believer's relationship with God, there's so many different words that we could use. But I don't know, I I just can't think of one that's more precious than to be called a child of God. A child of God. What could be more wonderful? Some folks put a lot of stock in their lineage. I remember years ago we were selling some church property in Cincinnati and... uh, the people dealing with buying up all of the part that we were selling was one of the Gold Brothers, G-O-U-L-D, one of the richest families on earth, I guess. And uh, you know, this was one of the brothers and uh, sitting there in his office, high, high, way up in the top floor and looking out all over the Cincinnati area and thought to myself, you know, uh, what it must be like to be one of those brothers or part of that family, you know, and how rich they are. Let me tell you, there are people out here working at Walmart. There are people out here pumping gas. There are people out here digging ditches that are richer than those people are. Because being a child of God puts you in a class all by itself. And the wonderful thing of it is that Jesus Christ is not just your Savior. He is your Father. You're, he and the fathers are one. Everything that a father ought to be, that's what he is to us. Psalms 103, verse 13 says, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. And this is the part I love, for he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Don't you feel bad when you know that you've done something that displeased God? That you failed in some way that was dishonoring to God? As a Christian, it makes you feel horrible and terrible. There are people that want to do more for God, and, and, and they can't physically. They can't. They want to, but they can't. You don't need to worry about what you can't do, folks. Faithfulness has to do with you doing what you're able to do. God didn't hold you accountable for things you can't do. He's well pleased in those that do what they can. And he's aware that we are but dust, that there are going to be times that we are not only are frail, but times that we literally fail him. He's like a father in those times. Now look at the next phrase. He is the prince of peace. Ever since sin entered into this world, there's been conflict. Cain slew Abel. Why? Because man's nature had changed. It was different. And from that time on, there's been conflict. The truth of the matter is you can look at world history and see that that history is divided up in terms of of wars. This war, that war. Go look back through the the Old Testament. It's one war after another, one nation trying to defeat the other, one empire overcoming and conquering another. I was born at the beginning of World War II, 1941. I don't know, but what I won't maybe live long enough that we see World War III. We're on the doorstep. But to think about measuring our history in terms of warfare tells us something about our depraved human nature. There's something within us that that keeps us from actually loving one another as we ought to. So when it says that he is the Prince of Peace and considering the condition of this world, I'm talking about not only are we at odds with other people, but we are opposed by Satan himself. We're in a spiritual warfare that puts us in opposition to God himself, our imperfections. And yet, he's the prince of peace. And I'm saying that because it just, who else could be the prince of peace? Who could do what Jesus is doing and what he is about to do, what he's going to do? Over in Romans chapter 5, it talks about peace. Verse number 10 tells us here that he made peace possible. Paul mentioned the fact that we can have peace with God. Isn't it wonderful to have be at peace with God? Because until you're saved, you're not at peace with God. You can attend church, you can read your Bible, you can give 20%, 30%, or you can give it all. It doesn't make any difference. You're not at peace with God until you become a child of God. And because He's the Prince of Peace, we can, we can be at peace with God and we can enjoy the peace of God We can even be at peace with one another. But here he's talking about peace that is universal peace. Notice verse 7. Of the increase of his government. I love that phrase. The increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And when you think about this corrupt, confused world of conflict, it's hard to imagine that this is true, that he's going to usher in a kingdom that is unending, uh, that's why I keep saying for the Christian, the future always looks bright if we look far enough ahead. And that's what we often fail to do. Notice it says the government is upon his shoulder. That's where it ought to be. That couldn't be said of anyone else. The government is up on his shoulder, and notice he says, there shall be no end. That can't be said of any kingdom that's ever existed on this earth. Right. They all come to an end sooner or later. Yes. But the kingdom that he's going to set up, he says, from henceforth, even forever. From henceforth. Uh, I, I, it just blows my mind whenever we think about the person in the work of christ and how it affects our attitude how it affects our actions and without having that long look without having that future look at at what's going to happen we're all going sooner or later be given to despair Maybe something happened. You mark it down today. You're just you feel like you're filled with the spirit. And you could you could chase Satan right into into hell with a water pistol. And boy, you've got it all together. And you wake up in the morning and you will feel like you uh, you feel spiritually dead and lifeless all over. How do we get through those tough times? It's realizing that. There is going to be a kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, and it's just a matter of time. Oh, I wish I had the time to go back to Romans chapter eight and verse sixteen and start reading through there about the, Him establishing this kingdom, and and that we as we as God's children, Paul said, we do earnestly groan. We're groaning. We're All of creation groaneth. Because even creation itself recognizes in some way that this is not really the way that it was meant to be. Everything's different. There's thorns on the roses. There's venom in the serpent. Fury in the beast. It wasn't that way before. And I'm telling you, there's coming a day when it won't be that way again. This is the Christmas time of the year when we celebrate the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen very carefully, and I won't be long. We need to do more than just think about the birth of Christ. That, That is absolutely wonderful to think about the fact that He cared enough that He came into this world. And he was born of a virgin and that miracle. We read what the angel said over in Luke chapter number one. And I think maybe Kenneth already touched upon this. And we read part of it and then we just kind of ignore the rest of it. But verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary. For thou sound favor with God, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. And he shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And if we just stop there, we're going to miss the point. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob how long forever and of his kingdom there shall be no end i want you to leave here today thinking about that unending kingdom of god and if you, if we had time to go back to second samuel chapter seven and we see the lord telling david that very thing giving assurance that there's going to be, the kingdom is going to continue, and the kingdom is going to be everlasting. In other words, it is a permanent place of prosperity and peace, perfection forever. And what we do so many times, what we do is to take the the glimpse, the short look at, at life. We just don't get the big picture as Paul did. I look not the things that are seen we're too nearsighted aren't we we need to be focused on on the future I've heard preachers even you know comment on the fact that sometimes they think we're so heavenly minded we're no earthly good we've been accused of that the real truth is we're so earthly minded we're no heavenly good we need to get our focus back on heaven Instead of dwelling on the past and depressed due to all of your present problems and what have you. Think about the future. Think about the coming kingdom of Christ that literally right here on a new earth. Ruling and reigning. Notice with him as his children on this earth a perfect place. The lion and the lamb lay down together. There'd be no more venom in the snake. Totally, totally different. And knowing that and keeping our focus on that has a way of giving us joy that we, we can't find anywhere else. Why in the world would God be so concerned as to take upon himself the form of a man and come down to earth. Oh, we, we explain it by just saying God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Well, we explain it that way. God loves us. That's, that's why God did that. But God is a holy God, and he is a just God. So how could that happen? Well, the only way God could secure our salvation was for God to offer Himself up as the sacrifice. I want to leave you with the thought that it was old. Doug Oldham sang a song. He's the only time I ever heard it was less than a year ago. I'd listened to Doug Oldham sing for many years. He was on Jerry Falwell, sang every week on his broadcast. I'd never heard or even read. The, Psalm or the song or the poem that it, or whatever it was the recitation but the very last words is something I want you to think about it's entitled he saw me on the balcony of space stepped a pure and holy God and in awesome solitude he stood alone not one faint star to give him light just endless rolling blackest night but somehow, through all of the darkness, he could see. He saw mountains high and lofty, saw valleys lush and green, and babbling brooks and wildfires grow, and even heard a robin sing. He felt a strange compassion as close to love as pain can be. Standing out there in his tomorrow, he saw me. He saw me in His likeness. He saw me just like Him. Pure, clean, holy, spotless, white within. But He saw me bound in heavy chains and longed to set me free. But He knew if I became like Him, He must become like me. That pretty well explains it. For us to become like Him, is that not God's purpose for each and every one of us? He's the firstborn among many brethren. The Bible says. Yes. Our goal in life is to glorify God by being as, like the Lord Jesus Christ. And one of these days, First John chapter three, verse three, the Lord comes. the, the wonderful. We're not just going to see Him. We're going to be like Him, a joint heir with Him. And this Christmas, don't just celebrate the birth of Christ, but rejoice in what that leads to. And in all of these verses that refers to His birth, that refers to His coming, they all eventually get around to why He came. He came to restore what was ruined in the fall. And for you, that means that you must be born again, regenerated spiritually. This can be the most wonderful Christmas you've ever had if you're here today and not saved. And if, you, if, if you're a child of God and you leave here all down in the dump, shame on you. We've got something to rejoice about. Yes, life is difficult. We do all have our ups and our downs. That's right. But the general tone of our life ought to be one of joy and of peace. Back whenever Bev and I were so sick, and I don't know who started it, now somebody's wrote a book about it, I've still got the note the girls left in there, my bedside just simply said, God's got this. Ever since then, Bev and I keep reminding each other, whatever we're going through, God's got this. We don't need to worry about it. God's got it. We can't change it by worrying about it. It doesn't change a thing. It, well, it does, it makes things worse. But God can do something about it. And if He doesn't, it's because He's got a better plan than ours. No wonder we call Him wonderful. He really is. Amen, let's all stand together, for the David and the musicians are going to come, and we extend this invitation for those that that are here today, perhaps God's speaking to your heart about your need of salvation. It might be that uh, it might be that you you just want to come and pray for yourself or for someone else, someone that's in dire need. We've got folks here in this sanctuary today that are in great need and they wouldn't come to you and ask you to pray for them but but they'd sure appreciate it if you would father i pray this morning that you'll forgive us of our of our fleshly desire to gratify self rather than glorify you forgive us lord for having that desire to be entertained as it were even religiously so God help us today to to think deep about the great truths of your word that regardless of how it seems we know how it's going to end and we thank you for that information the assurance the blessed assurance that all things are going to end well because Lord you can't lie and you never change And I pray you'll pound that into our hearts here this morning. And if there's someone here today that's never received Christ as their Savior, may they recognize their need and may the Spirit of God draw them to that place where they'll put their faith in Him. And leave here today knowing this wonderful Savior is their own dear Lord. For we beg it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. While we stand in this, we sing.